Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. As we consider what it means to have our faith tested. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Give attention to the word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Let us pray. Father, we bow before you this morning, acknowledging that the preaching of the gospel is your ordinance, is the means which you have ordained to bring the power of Christ's cross to bear in our lives, and it is the great means that you have ordained to display your glory in our midst. And so we look to you, O Lord, and to your almighty power to fulfill your promises now in our midst, we ask for Jesus' sake, amen. My father-in-law used to work at a large corporation, NCR, very large corporation. And one of the jobs that he had in his department of that corporation was to uh, interview potential candidates to be hired. Now, his position at NCR was logistics. He was all about supply chain and getting materials to the factories where they needed to be. He told me one time about one of the questions, some of the questions they would ask these candidates, and one of the questions they would ask the candidates was, what is the gross tonnage of rubber tires produced in America in the year 2018? That's the kind of question he would ask them. Now he explained to me the purpose of that question. The purpose of that test was not to get the right answer. The purpose of that test was to see how they thought. It was to see how did they approach the problem. Star Wars fans are, uh, I'm sorry, not Star Wars, forgive me, Star Trek fans are aware of a very similar thing in the Star Trek universe, the Kobayashi Maru. That is meant to be an impossible test. It's a test you cannot pass because the point of that kind of test is to see how the officer thinks. It's not to get the right answer, it's to see how they go through the problem. Well, likewise, God also tests his people, but not for his benefit. He tests us for our benefit. The tests that he puts us through are not only hard, they are impossible. When the Lord tests his people, he puts them through a Kobayashi Maru. There is no way to solve this problem in their own strength. This is because when God tests the faith of his people, it is so that he can show them what the name Jehovah really means. In the book of Exodus chapter 6 verse 7, he tells the people of Israel, You shall know that I am Jehovah your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. 
Israelite slavery was a Kobayashi Maru. It was an impossible problem. And when the Lord Jehovah shows up, he's going to deliver them out of this impossible problem so that they would know what the name Jehovah really means. Our congregation is going through a test of faith right now. This passage shows us how to pass that test. Specifically, what we're going to learn is that when God tests his elect, they reason through the problem, not by faith in themselves, nor by faith in the means, but by faith in Jehovah. When the Lord puts his elect to the test, they reason not by faith in themselves, not by faith in the means, but by faith in Jehovah. We're going to see three things in this passage. Verse 17, Abraham is tested in himself. Verse 18, Abraham is tested in the means. And verse 19, Abraham is tested in his faith in Jehovah. Verse 17, tested in himself. Verse 18, tested in the means. Verse 19, tested in Jehovah. And so we begin by looking at verse 17. You notice that the author begins, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. This word tested is a very common word in the scriptures. It's a neutral word. It simply means to try something, to, to prove or to, to put something to some kind of test. That can be a good test or it can be a bad test. This is the same word that's used for Satan's temptations as well as God's testing. You remember the passage in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 15. Brethren, consider it all joy when you fall into various tests. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Later on, James goes on to write and says, If any man is tempted, same word, let him not say that he is tempted by God. For God tempts no man, but every man is tempted by his own flesh. Here's the difference. When God tests his elect, it is for their sanctification. When Satan tempts God's people, it is for their destruction through sin. Now the victory in any test of faith is to maintain the faith without doubting. You remember what John the Apostle says in his first letter, chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. It is our faith that overcomes the world. For who has overcome the world except he who believes that Jesus is the Christ? That is the test of faith, and that is what is being pride. That ultimately is what Satan's temptations are. Satan's temptations are to get you to fall into sin and to doubt God's promises, to doubt his gospel, to doubt that he really is Jehovah. Abraham was tested. He was tested in being told to offer up his son by faith when Abraham was tested. He offered up Isaac. Now, you, you know the story. Isaac wasn't actually sacrificed, but the author is writing here about Abraham's determination, his decision to follow the word of God, and so he was ready to offer up his son. 
Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22 where we read this story. Genesis 22 verses 1 and 2. tests Abraham first in himself. Notice how God approaches the patriarch. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The Lord tested Abraham in his only begotten son. In the son of his love. The son of his old age. You may be aware that Isaac's name means laughter. And you can imagine the home of Abraham and Sarah after this boy was born into their home in their old age, a bundle of joy, a source of laughter throughout their home. This is the son of the promise. This is the one I've prayed for. And God says, offer him. Abraham was tested in himself. You see also that he's told to go to Mount Moriah. At Mount Moriah, Abraham was told to offer Isaac, the only begotten. It was also at Mount Moriah when David bought the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David was going to offer a sacrifice to stay the plague that was upon the people after David sinned. And Ornan the Jebusite said to David, I give all of these things to you. Offer it freely. And David said, No, I will not offer to the Lord burnt offerings that which costs me nothing. It was also at Mount Moriah where David the king offered a costly sacrifice to atone for the wrath of God that was upon the people. It was also at Mount Moriah where Solomon built the temple as it were on the foundation of this sacrifice. And it was also in the vicinity of Mount Moriah where our Lord Jesus Christ was sacrificed on our behalf. You can look to 2 Samuel 24, 28 and 2 Chronicles 3, 1 to follow that train of thought. I want you to see here that God knows exactly what he's doing to this father. God knows exactly how he's being tested. Take your son, your only son, the son of your love, and offer him on Mount Moriah. Because God the Father knows that when the time is appropriate, he will offer his son, his only son, the son of his love, at this same place. So Abraham is tested in himself, specifically in his natural affection for his son. I don't know how any father's heart can read this and not be moved the way Abraham must have been tried. The question is, will he obey the command of God? Or will he follow his own heart? That's the test that's being put here. 
Take your son, your only son, the son of your love, and offer him as a sacrifice. You are being put to the test now, congregation. Many of you have warm affections for me and the elders. Many of you harbor offenses against me and the elders. And you are now called upon to judge at a congregational meeting. Will you obey the command of God or will you follow your heart? Many of you appreciate me as your pastor and have fond memories of me and my ministry to you. You are inclined to judge me according to those affections. Do not do it. That's called partiality. Others of you have warm affections for the elders and have been ministered to by them to your mutual joy. You're inclined to judge the situation based on those affections. Do it not. Partiality is a sin. Hear the command of God to you at this time. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. You're being tested. I pray you pass the test. Abraham is also tested in the means. This is verse 18. The Lord says, take your son, your only begotten son, the son of your love. And the author adds in verse 18, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed will be called. Abraham is not only being tested in that he must give up the son of his old age, Isaac, whose name means laughter. But Isaac is also the one that God promised to bring the gospel through. God has ordained that his grace should come to us through the means of grace. In the new covenant, these are the word, sacraments, and prayer. In the old covenant, the Lord was pleased to supplement the word, sacraments, and prayer with promises and types. Isaac was one of those types. Therefore, he is a means of grace. He is a means through which God has promised to bring the graces of the covenant to bear. The means of grace operate by the word of the promise. You need to understand this, brothers and sisters. The means of grace are operative. Not because of anything in themselves and not because of anything in us but because of God's promise that He will bless us through this and the faith of the Holy Spirit by which we lay hold of that promise. The bread and wine are nothing in themselves. The bread and wine are the source of eternal life according to God's promise. We use the means because God has promised to use them in our lives. Means of grace do not operate by magic nor in the Catholic fashion. You know how Catholics view the means of grace. If you throw water at a baby, that baby is sanctified. If you shove bread in your face, you're eating the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Catholics believe the sacraments and all the means of grace work. 
There must be a word of promise and faith in the heart laying hold of that promise as attached to the means. Let me explain what I mean by this. Paul the Apostle says in Titus chapter 1 that God has ordained preaching to be the means by which he makes eternal life known to men. Preaching is the means. The promise is what makes it effectual. There is nothing in the preacher. There is nothing in my education. There is nothing in who I am that makes this effectual. It is all because of the word of the promise. Likewise with all the means. And so now we look at Abraham's promise, the promise that he received. The promise is that Abraham would have a numerous offspring. And this promise is attached to Isaac, the chosen son. Look at verse 18. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. So whatever seed Abraham hopes to receive from God's blessing and grace, it's coming through this kid. But now, Isaac, the appointed means, is commanded to be sacrificed. So Abraham's being tested in the means. Here's the test. Westminster Larger Catechism 105, describing the sins against the first commandment, says this. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are using unlawful means and trusting in lawful means. Did you catch that? One of the sins against the first commandment is trusting in the lawful means that God has appointed. Why is that? Because the means do not function in themselves. The means function by the power of God through them. So our trust when we use the means is in God himself. Not in the book, not in the bread, not in the prayer. Our trust is in the God of the book, the God of the bread, and the God of the prayer. And so it is a sin against the first commandment to trust the means. In opposition to trusting in God. Means are that which God has promised to use. Means are not God himself. The blessing that we enjoy in the use of means is not in the means themselves. It's not in the preaching, it's not in the Bible, it's not in the bread, and it's not in your prayer closet. It is God through the means. Sacraments, word, and prayer. And as I already mentioned... Isaac was the means appointed for this promise to be fulfilled. So Abraham is tested in the means, especially in this lawful means that he was given. He has every right to have hope that through Isaac, God will bless me. And now God says, put Isaac on the altar. Does your trust lie in Isaac or does your trust lie in me? And so the test that Abraham has given is, will he trust in the God who gave him Isaac? Or will he cling to Isaac and disobey God? Your faith is also being tested in this way. 
Your elders are divided. Elders have been appointed as guides for your faith, given authority to teach and to lead, to counsel and rebuke. Now your elders are divided. One says this, another says that. In God's providence, as it were, the elders have been taken away from you as authorities through which to guide you. What do I mean by that? I don't mean anyone's been taken out of their office. I mean when there's disagreement among the elders, you're now left asking the question, what do we do? Your faith is being tested in the means. Will you cling to the means? Or cling to the God who gave you the means? Will you take a man's word for it because he's an elder or a minister? Or will you, like the Bereans, test everything by the word of God? Brothers and sisters, God has given me and the elders in this church authority over you. But my authority and the authority of the elders is limited by the law and the word of God. We have ministerial authority. That means that what we tell you is binding insofar as it comes from the scripture. Do not take what I'm telling you because I say it. Test what I say by the word of God and look to him for guidance. Remember what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? You're being tested in the means right now, congregation. When you pass judgment, judge with righteous judgment. Well, Abraham is tested in himself according to his affections. He's tested in the means, whether or not he will trust the means or trust the God who gave them the means. Now, he passes the test in verse 19. Uh, the author begins this verse by saying, concluding. This word in Greek is logizomai. Nice fancy word. It's where we get the word logic from. This is a word that means to reason, to think, to account, or to reckon. To list, as it were. In this test of faith that Abraham is going through, he's left with his own thinking. He's left on his own resources. God gave me Isaac and made promises. He's my beloved son, but the same God has told me to sacrifice him. How do I square this circle? How do I figure this one out? What am I to make of this? Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the son of my old age, the joy of my heart, the pride of my wife, and God has told me to sacrifice him. If Abraham were to have reasoned, logizomai, by faith in himself, this is what it would have looked like. I love Isaac. He's my son. My only son. My beloved son. He's the joy of my life. 
I cannot sacrifice him because I have so much affection for him. And thus, Abraham would have disobeyed God. If Abraham were to have reasoned by faith in the means, it would have looked like this. God promised that Isaac, uh, that in Isaac my seed would be called. Therefore, I must preserve him at all costs because Isaac is the source of this blessing I hope to achieve. And thus, Abraham would have disobeyed God. But Abraham reasoned by faith, not in himself, not in the means, but in Jehovah. Notice Abraham's reasoning. He concluded that God was able to raise him up. First, he concludes that God is able. Abraham first looks to God's power to fulfill what he had promised and not his own power. Abraham recognizes Isaac was a gift of God's grace, the promise was a gift of God's grace, and so it's got to be God's power to fulfill this promise. Now this is the test of the whole Christian life, isn't it, brothers and sisters? This is the whole kit and caboodle right here. God makes promises. God gives you command. God uh, tells you of blessings beyond your imagination. And the test of faith is, do you trust in yourself to achieve that? Or do you trust in Jesus Christ alone? This is not only the initial test that we are put to, like when the young man gave confession to his faith, he humbles and abhors himself and trusts in Jesus Christ alone for his salvation, but this is also the continual test that we go through the entire Christian life. I know there are many wounded in this congregation. I know there have been many cuts. There have been many tears. There's a lot of questions. And there's a lot of concern. In yourself and your officers... You may realize that there is no hope. My counsel to you is to not look to the strength of men, nor to the strength of officers, but reason the way Abraham reasoned, reckoning that God was able. This is ultimately the only power that matters in the church. The power of Jehovah. What is Jehovah able to do? Look at the next premise. Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him up from the dead. This is the unique power of Jehovah in fulfilling his promises. This is the one thing Jehovah does that nobody else can do. 
The deliverance from Egypt is characterized as a resurrection from the dead. Israel came out of the land of mummies and ascended up to Jerusalem. The deliverance from Babylon in the book of Ezekiel is described as a resurrection from the dead. The whole nation of Israel were a valley of dry bones. And the prophet is asked, can these bones live? And the prophet learned his lesson from Abraham. You know, Lord. And he said, go preach to them and these bones shall live. The prophet preaches, the bones come to life, they're clothed with flesh and skin, they're armed, and they become a great army through the resurrection of Christ. Our brother just read from Ephesians chapter 2 that you have been raised from the dead along with Christ. This is the unique power that Jehovah exercises in the life of his people. This is what it means when God says, I am that I am. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. We just read this from the Apostle Paul. He said, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. We were burdened beyond measure so that we despaired even of life itself. Why would God put us through this test? So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Psalm 68, 19 through 20 speaks of the same vein. Says that the Lord our God is the God of our salvation. To our God belong the escapes from death. This is how Abraham is reasoning. And Abraham concludes this is the only way this promise is going to be fulfilled. Isaac is the promised son, but God told me to sacrifice him. I cannot disobey God, and so we're going to the hill. God must be able to raise this boy from the dead. That's the only way I see out of this. Not in myself, not in the means, but in the power of Jehovah. Doing what I cannot do in myself. This is the conclusion of the logic of faith, so to speak. This is how faith reasons. Faith does not look to itself. Faith does not look to the means. Faith looks to the power of Jehovah. This, by the way, is how the gospel is fulfilled. Turn to Luke 24. Luke 24, Christ has risen, but the disciples aren't quite aware of it yet. He meets two men walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about all these things. Christ asks them, what things are you talking about? And so they said to him in verse 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one going to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to be the one. This is what we were hoping in. And Christ tells them, have you not understood the scriptures? Have you not understood the power of God? He's the God of resurrection. Later on that day, he goes to the disciples. They're still very slow to believe that Christ really has risen from the dead. 
He goes to them and says, See my hands and my feet in verse 39. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when the disciples see this, when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, they cannot believe what is standing before their eyes. Isaac is back. The one whom God promised to bless us through, the seed of Abraham, though he was dead, he's back. They did not believe for joy and marveled. This is how the gospel is fulfilled, brothers and sisters. Resurrection power. The resurrection of Christ. The author concludes with Abraham and says, and he received him back, as it were, in a figurative sense. He was ready to slay his son, And so in Abraham's thinking, this boy is dead. This boy has already been sacrificed. And I merely need to go through with it. And it is through this, as it were, resurrection from the dead that God keeps his promise and returns his beloved son to Isaac through the resurrection of the dead. You remember the scene back in Genesis 22? Genesis 22, Abraham is ascending the mountain with his son. In verses 9 through 12. Can you imagine? Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. They have all the equipment for the sacrifice, the wood, the knife, the fire. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Who's going to be offered on this fire? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there, placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand with the knife and took it to slay his son. Then the angel of the Lord called to him saying, Abraham, Abraham, do not touch the boy. For now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you fear God above your own affections and above the means that I've promised. I know that you fear me. And he receives Isaac back from the dead. I don't have to slay my son. God is going to fulfill his promises. God is able, though I am not. Sacrificing has not stopped in the New Testament. Now, we don't offer bulls and goats. You're not commanded to offer your firstborn. No. But we are commanded to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. Repenting of trust in ourselves and in our own use of the means and reposing alone in trust in Jehovah who alone is able to raise the dead. Your faith is being tested right now. It is time for you to sacrifice. It is time for all of us 
to sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical, same Greek word, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the renewal? God raises the dead. Do not be conformed to this world, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May God show his power among us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of promise. We thank you that Isaac has been brought back from the dead and that he reigns and rules at your right hand. We pray, O Lord, that as our faith is tested, you, O Lord, would give us the grace and the strength to pass the test, looking not to ourselves, nor to your means, but to you alone, who are the great I Am, everlasting to everlasting. We lift up all these prayers to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.